All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 259 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. I am mobile this week. I was... Tar- I was not just tardy last week. I was absent, AWOL, missing. So the guys flew solo without me, uh, which is just as well. But I just managed to get to, where am I? San Luis Obispo today, which is somewhere on the California coast. We went by Chumash. I was like, hey, there was a KISS show there. Then Paso Robles. I was like, hey, there's a KISS show there. So I've been da- all the way down to San Diego. I wanted to go to Mexico, but could not be arsed to drive. Uh, that just like final little bit to go across the border into another country that I've never been to. So, um, hmm. worst part, I haven't been to a single record store. But, oh, really? Well, it's, it's actually interesting that you men- mentioned St. Louis Obispo because doing a Yes podcast, uh, that city is very popular amongst Yes fans because one of the one of the classic Yes live albums was recorded there, uh, Keys to Ascension. Part one and part two was recorded right there in St. Louis Obispo. So uh, when you mentioned it right away, my yes alarm went off. Like, wow, okay, he's in a cool yes area right now. So uh, yeah, it's kind of cool there. I wonder if they still have that same theater that they recorded. I don't remember what the name of it is, but there's like a theater attached to a bank, attached to a. It was all kind of connected these buildings, and they did the recording and stuff like that there. So it was interesting that you mentioned that. But this is kiss, yeah. not yes. Yeah, and you know what? My my, my visit here has been uh, arrive, go to Panera, grab a sandwich. Now checked into a 1970s decor dive, um, and and throw out the laptop because you know the, no, I haven't listened to any kiss all week. I've listened to any music all week uh, because it's just been driving around uh, UCLA. Irvine, and then to hear that some of the lads are in L.A. at the moment. Jason, I think, was flying in today. Andrew got in a couple of days ago. Nicholas Buckland, of course, author of uh, Hottest Brand in the Land, will be there for business, not for pleasure. Uh, though hopefully some of that business is pleasurable. So there's a good reminder for Nicholas's Hottest Brand in the Land book, which is still available. Like regular copies, you can go to the Hottest Brand in the Land book or something to that effect you know google it hottest brand in the land book and you'll find it i think all the autograph copies sold out and i i ordered i think i ordered the deluxe the, the super duper one uh, managed to get one of those which is cool so i'm looking forward to that other things kind of going on is if i can find the link because again i'm unprepared for this show today <laughs> so i was not sure i'd be able to make it is um I, I'm looking for the chap's name, and let's see if I can find it quickly. William Bush, I think it is, has a book coming on Australian and New Zealand, so Antipodean vinyl, which I'm excited about. I'm always excited about anyone who wants to do a narrow focus on something, whether it's Kiss in Japan, like Alan did, and again, that sets a, a very high standard to kind of put things against, or the guys in Sweden, and of course Carl Linnaeus and uh, Alex Bergdahl then went on and did another 
book project. So all this stuff's really cool for KISS fans. So some of these book projects coming along that, uh, you know, aren't going to be massive sellers, possibly, with the exception, hopefully, of Nicholas's book. I want to be able to look at all the New Zealand and Australia now that I don't buy. I mean, do you get do you get into those sorts of things, Mark? Um, well, I uh, I like that kind of idea of that book, that making it something that's very specific to a country like that. And uh, I'm I'm probably going to end up buying it because uh, I like these kind of books. And uh, I I've started piquing my interest in. Australian and New Zealand pressings, but for me, of course, I'm sure just like with you guys in the U.S., it's pretty uh, pricey to ship records here from Australia and New Zealand, but um, it still doesn't mean that I'm not going to pick up the book because I am interested in it because I would like to pick up some Australian or New Zealand pressings of KISS records, so uh, it's definitely something I'm, I'm into. Uh, as for Nicholas's book, um, I haven't ordered a copy yet, but I think I'll probably just try to get myself one of the standard copies of it as more to show support because uh, I like you guys know I'm not really a very big merch collector or you know I I haven't really been into those kinds of things at all like those guys are like I know those some of those guys are pretty hardcore about it like if I'm not mistaken I think Jason mentioned that he's actually in the midst of uh, getting himself a pinball machine Jason Herndon so uh, that's that's when you know you're hardcore into Kiss merch when you start getting a pinball machine and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and you know that's why I like the book. I think I've mentioned it before. Is I hate merch, but a coffee <laughs> table book is a great way to see pristine or hopefully pristine examples of a lot of this merchandise. A lot of which I've read about in the thousands of memos that I've amassed over you know, the course of the last 25, 30 years. So a lot of the stuff that's mentioned in there, I mean, some of the the stuff goes through, like, here's the royalty sheet for one month of poster sales or, you know, from a, a sort of thing then to actually see those posters, which I would never have, or say the kind of jackets. And you now I, I think Nicholas has, has gone out of his way to make a very photographic, intensive book. So that's how I look at it. I'm never going to collect this shit. I'm never going to care about, you know, when they do their podcasts and discuss some of these things, I don't watch because I just don't care. Um, yeah. Occasionally I hear, you know, someone talk about something and I'm like, I do go and watch and then I learn something new and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't watch it because I didn't care. But they're actually talking about some cool stuff or going on some tangents that are entertaining. But I'm still never going to go on eBay and start going after, you know, the guitars, uh, the toy guitars or the garbage cans or never a pinball. And I can say that with hand on heart um, that I will never, ever do that because, you know, I have nowhere to put it and I don't want to take it with me, uh, which it's not going not gonna to happen I'm midlife now, so I'm not allowed to have any further midlife crises. So I think I can get away with the book, which at that price point with the shipping involved is uh, a necessary evil. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the the pinball machine is something that I can admit that maybe, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I might have had some interest in it. Uh, but yeah, now it's, it's kind of the same issues. I mean, where am I going to put it? I mean, most of the stuff that I have, down in the basement is like vinyl related or I have like me you know my Marshall half stack downstairs or stuff like that. I, I can't put a, a pinball machine down there. And plus I can only imagine, uh, you know, having a house that's not de fully detached. 
Uh, I can only imagine my neighbors being very pleased to hear the kind of ping, ding, 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 ding that could happen from a pinball machine. Probably getting a knock on the wall there. They turn that thing down, you know. So, uh, but, you know, there are other things that I have more interest in, I guess, from the merch end of things, but not enough to, you know, go out and get like a full collection of things or even like the O'Coin stuff. I know a lot of people are, you know, very interested in getting O'Coin branded or a coin era merchandise and uh i can understand that because that's kind of like you know when they were in their heyday and that's like a time capsule almost when you get something like that but you know i think the closest thing i ever came to collecting kiss stuff was a few kiss belt buckles but that's about it ah i had i had a kiss belt buckle (laughs) but i can't remember which one it was because it was so long ago and i chucked it and i had the you know I don't know if anyone remembers those big three-inch uh, solo album pins. I actually had those, or the buttons. Mm-hmm. I had those. And, and that was basically it. I think I had an Animal Eyes um, Carnival Mirror, you know, one of the seven-by-seven oh, yeah. seven, seven ones that you used to get for nearly every band. But when you'd go to a state fair or a local fair, there was always crap like that to win. So, uh, again, it's going to be nice to be able to look at it in a book and not worry about values. I think he's not put monetary values and i think he's put rarity ratings which give you a better idea um so you know that's going to be fun and keep obviously all coin air is what it's about because for most collectors i believe it was more kind of their childhood toys and that kind of stuff rather than later when they were thinking and i always laugh investments uh which spencer shit has investments no, Johnny Lightning, and someone will probably now say, "Well, you know, this car goes for such." That's nice it, to me. Rock and roll, nothing I've ever bought to do with rock and roll has been an investment. It's been either because of my ego, stupidity. I, I think probably just leave it at those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, again, it, it, I think that my real interest from the kiss end of things has to has fallen on to the whole vinyl end of stuff. And, uh, I think I'm happy enough there because when I look at how many, uh, vinyls I've actually, you know, got, I mean, sure. It's not nothing compared to how you are with the alives and stuff like that. But when I, I do have the habit of logging all my purchases onto this discogs kind of, uh, application. And when you go on there and it tells you what they average out, the value of your collection to be like 160 of those albums that I have are kiss records. So I'm kind of like, wow, that's a lot of records to have for a band that only has what 30 albums total, maybe like, like official releases. So, I mean, I I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's bad enough that I collect that. I mean, I have about now 900 vinyl albums because I don't forget. I also collect yes, obsessively Genesis King Crimson, David Bowie and Bowie, that's a nightmare right there. I mean, how many like, you know, compilation albums does he have out? Like that makes Kiss look like nothing, you know? So if you're going to start going neck deep into that, which unfortunately I started collecting quite a few of their compilation and greatest hits albums. So, you know, I think it's just, I, I have nothing against people who collect merch, stuff like that. It's just whatever tickles your fancy, you know? I mean, that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. If you love pinball machines, I I, you know, I, I don't envy you because if you want to try to collect all kinds of different pinball machines, uh, first of all, I don't know where you would put them all. And number two, that's a pretty, you know, lofty 
uh, financial situation you're putting yourself into. Yeah, and you know, I may kind of laugh at you. I, you know, just saying that I, I think it's stupid and mocking the Spencer stuff. But you know what? If it makes you happy, it is about yeah. you. It's not about what anyone else thinks, not what I think, just because I don't like it or care for it. Big deal. You know, it's like the people who collect instruments. I've always kind of wondered why, mm-hmm. it, because I won't. I don't have an instrument, a kiss, you know, guitar that I don't play. So it's always even the ones with, that uh, are signed uh, and I don't put anything over them. So if those signatures and, you know, engravings rub off and end up on my forearm, um, that's because it's an instrument. And to me, an instrument not hung on a wall necessarily. Yes. Um, and again, in my apartment, I, away from it because there were some copies that I just wasn't going to get or be able to get for the sort of prices that I wanted to pay. So I'm one of those collectors that it's really more about the hunt that once I have them, then I'm like, well, what the hell do I do with it now? And I've mentioned this before on the show that I get, I usually collect stuff. I go into a few years of being interested in the live, collect them, and then I get bored and I sell them off and start on something else. I've been doing that with the cassettes lately. Uh, I'm sick to death of it. When it got to the level of inanity of big window, little window, clear tape, oh, gray tape, oh, this is gray tape for the polygram. I was just like, whoa, whoa, seek help, stop. Uh, Because it it just passed the point of stupidity. So, you know, at this point, I've kept all my promo cassettes. I've kept all my English cassettes, um, my Singapore cassettes, which obviously being English and having lived in Singapore are the ones that I've decided that all I care about. It's just like the vinyl. The Singapore vinyl is all I'm, I'm still after a copy and lick it up and a replacement of Creatures of the Night from Singapore. Um, so if anyone has those going, give me a shout. Give me a shout. I'll pay top dollar. Uh, mm-hmm. to get those back in the collection same with cassettes but uh you know collecting's run its course for me in so many ways but i'm sure i'll find something to fixate on again and you know once i finished unloading you know i've got like three or four hundred magazines to get up on ebay as well as the, all the remaining cassettes and you know vinyl as well because i'm still have copies of alive i still cannot believe i've not been able to move that south african copy that's nearly pristine Come on, it's fucking South African. Getting a pristine mm-hmm. copy of that, it just boggles the mind. But, you know, other collectors collect. So, yeah. Other, yeah. Other rarity. Yeah, it, it, it's very interesting, though, because, I mean, you brought up a lot of interesting points. Like, being a musician myself, um, having a few guitars in my collection, I kind of agree with you about the whole scratching the head over people who collect instruments. Because for me... I understand the value of having, let's say, a 1972 Les Paul. But for me, if I was to get a 1972 Les Paul, it sure as hell wouldn't be hanging on my wall and me just staring at it. I'd be taking that thing and playing it and using it to record stuff. And, you know, I believe that that thing is here for a reason. That's here to be played. And, and I know that there's some people who just won't look at it that way you know and let's put it this way if you don't know how to play the instrument but you love guitars and want to collect it i totally understand right that that's perfect right 
But I mean, to me, I I don't understand the person that can play guitar and can play it very well, but will go out and buy like a 1970 you know Telecaster, but never play it. I mean, I couldn't do it. It would be too tempting for me to not take that down and listen to like history in your hands like that. You know, sure, there's some guitars that'll never fall into my lap, like a you know a 1959 original Les Paul, which is probably like more than my house is worth, right? So uh, I can understand. If I ever got into a situation where I had that, maybe I might want to put out a lot of insurance on it and maybe put it somewhere safe and keep it away from my young nephews or something. But, you know, other than that, uh, I'm like that with the vinyl. It's like with the vinyl when I hear people saying that they have a copy that's sealed and they don't want to open it. It's like, eh, to me, I always open my stuff. Even if I have like, you know, 19 different versions of it, I still want to open it because i want to see it maybe there's some slight variation maybe there isn't because for me i'm a big uh and you're gonna you know think that this is another crazy thing i'm a i'm totally a dead wax matrix guy i love going there and looking in the dead wax and seeing if i can find who did the lacquer cut and who did this and that you know and those are the kind of things that i love about vinyl so i have to open it and see it other than that you know i just still love listening to the record i'm i was sometimes surprised at the differences because people were saying, oh, I don't like record club pressings, for example. And they said that, you know, they don't like it because for whatever reasons they don't like it. But I've sometimes run into record club pressings that actually sounded really good and sometimes better than some of my Canadian pressings. You know, I was like, wow, like, so it's not always in stone, in my opinion. That's why I kind of like taking out records from their shrink wrap and listening to it because you never know what you could hear. You might have a version of it that you know might sound audio wise much better than the one some of the ones you have in your collection so i always take a listen to stuff open it check it out and you know so as from a value point of view sure my my vinyl probably won't be nearly as you know pricey or collectible because i never keep my stuff sealed but you know that it's to each his own right Yeah, and come on, if someone wants to buy a guitar because they like guitars or they like experience of getting that guitar, you know, whatever, viola maker, cello maker, you know, those instruments are worth millions and they're played in, in orchestra. So that's just kind of kind of my look on that. And you know what, again, we don't tell anyone how to do anything. Everyone, mm-hmm. just do what you do and enjoy it. No matter what you do, even if people poo-poo you, um, I can't buy sealed records anymore. I think Gore ruined that for me. So, um, you know, it is what it is. All right, so we don't really have any topics today other than, you know, I wasn't even going to be part of the show, and things happened, and I'm available, and I just want to talk some kiss i've barely been on the board this week so mark and i just going to flip through some topics we're not going to read your what you've been talking about on them we're just going to go with thoughts on those topics so why don't we just start off and you know some of these we've talked about before but you know what it never gets old i like this one uh, i'm not going to say who it is but uh pick three post kiss songs ace should add to his set list as soon as possible well uh, it's an ace song just starting another series of tour dates today. I believe he started, yeah, I'm sorry, he's about to you know, do some other ones, but you know, some of the selections on here, 
easy for me. Love me right. I would love to hear that back in there just because I've never heard it live in the set, even as part of a medley. Um, oh, God, it gets tough. So what I think, Mark, what was one of yours? Uh, hmm, it's interesting because, as you guys probably know, um, not the biggest uh, knowledgeable person as far as uh, Ace stuff goes, but I mean, I do like a lot of his earlier stuff, like the Freely's Comet stuff, obviously. Um, but you know, the, the main thing with me with this topic is that I don't follow his set list, so I might pick something and not realize that he's actually played it, right? So, for, for example, like a, a song that I really like from his Freely days is like is a song like Shot Full of Rock, you know. I, I really like that song now. I'm not sure if he's actually played that recently or not but you know there's a song that i really like right i mean and a, a song that i've always liked too and i believe there's a video for it because i think i've when i stumbled across it it's when i actually first heard it was into the night right i mean that's that's a song that i always liked that he's done as well right so for me i mean later on when he came out with like anomaly and stuff like that that's when i started getting back into more listening to his stuff right so you know, and that's one thing that I've kind of was always kind of uh, upset about is that he doesn't really take much stuff off of that record. I mean, that was the record that brought him back to the public, you know. So why he doesn't play like Foxy and Free or something like that, I don't I don't understand why he doesn't play stuff like that. Because uh, honestly, I mean, there was, the you know, the, he, he had a little bit of a hype machine going when he started to, you know, make news that he's going to release that record. And it did fairly well for him. So I don't know why he ignores that record. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, he had a hype machine. He had Frank Munoz, who did great work with him at the time. He had a band that come on wore the jumpsuits and had a kind of uniform shtick going on stage. I would love to hear Foxy and Free back in the set. Just, you know what? It'd be a great talking point for him to say, you know, this is from my, what was it, 2009 album. You know, I really proved Gene and Paul wrong that I could get an album out you know, make another solo record. And since then, I've kept making records um, because the songs don't stay in the set long, and that's fine. I get why he feels the need to keep it kind of kiss-heavy. Um, that was his stuff. that made Ace famous. So I get it, and I enjoy seeing his shows, but I would like more of that stuff. So Foxy and Free, that's a great pick. I totally agree with you on that. But I think for my other one, I, I want something off Second Sighting because I think it's neglected. We've heard some things on occasion in jams or medleys, and I'm going insane. Love Insane, you know, so the Todd regardless of, you know, people calling it the Todd Howard solo album, I think, thank God Todd and John Reagan were there, or else there wouldn't have been any albums, especially at that time. So, you know, Insane, again, it, to me, full, full, played in its full performance, would be one of those songs that could have a great story attached to though Ace's onstage dialogues probably wouldn't work uh, if he had to 
do jump in with uh, any. Oh, I like this one. Dodger Stadium 1998 versus the last. Now, that's a really interesting thing about both of them. Are. Oh, it's easy for me. Dodger Stadium 1998. Any day of the week, I will take that set. I will take that performance as weird as it was just because I was there and enjoying it in person. So it was also the only show on the Psycho Circus Tour that I think had uh, nothing to lose. Uh, what was, it? I, was it I Was Made for Loving You? I don't remember. Uh, but there were three songs that were in there that then they, they changed around and brought in Making Love for the rest of the dates on that tour. And of course, it had the circus and the Smashing Pumpkins. And I yeah. also thought it was a good performance. You know, they, they came out and you look at the video, um, and even though it's not Peter from that night, because someone nicked it, um, it's from the rehearsal footage and doesn't have enough Peter in it. It's still a band. But then, at that point, didn't know that they had completely failed with their Psycho Circus project. So it was, there was still hope. It hadn't been poisoned by the negativity. But just because, again, my first show, and I find the last kiss from 2000 a little bit plodding and uh, a little bit more unhappy, it's easy for me to pick. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I have to agree. I think 98 was definitely the more stronger of the uh, two dates, for sure. Um, I also think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, 98 Dodger Stadium was the beginning of the tour. Uh, they were probably excited about getting back out and doing stuff, whereas uh, Last Kiss was near the end, and it was also a band at that time that was, you know, very much not uh, seeing eye-to-eye eye on many things. And according to Gene and Paul, they were, you know, heavily medicating again, so they weren't happy with their performances and stuff like that. So obviously I think that, uh, you know, the 98 uh, show would definitely have more of the old uh, fire from the band. And I think that one of the songs that they did do from that show is She. I believe that they did that during that show and probably I don't think they played it many times after I think it might have even been dropped after that show if my memory serves me correctly so yeah again the first shows are always interesting to go to um, because like you said sometimes you go to a show they play songs and then as, as soon as maybe even the next show they dropped it I think I remember reading an article about the reunion tour that after Detroit certain things got changed with that show altogether. Like they dropped some of the lighting grids, like some of the production of it even got changed from after that first show. So a lot of times uh, going to a first show, uh, it has its advantages. I'm, I'm pretty sure that your uh, Vancouver show that you went to when the tour started for the end of the road, you know, maybe you, you saw stuff and uh, that didn't continue in the rest of the tour. So I think it's a good idea to go to first show. So I agree. I think 98 is definitely um, something that is much stronger in performance than the uh, than the, the than the 2000 uh, farewell show. But I do want to bring up something. I don't know if you've caught this. Uh, are you much of an Eddie Trunk listener? Uh, because Eddie Trunk uh, had on Steve Harris from Iron Maiden on, and he was mentioning before that he did an interview or that Adrian Smith did an interview, and in this interview he kind of threw a stab at Kiss saying how he was disappointed that they were playing to backing tracks and how Iron Maiden would never in their life ever, ever do that. So it's funny that now this is this has been something that was kept, you know, that has been swept under the carpet. Remember how much talk we had about this when it first came out and we first started talking about it when the tour started? And now it was nicely quiet. Nobody I found was ever talking about it again. 
But now it's interesting how Adrian Smith now all of a sudden starts bringing up this whole debate again about, you know, bands who use tapes and doing stuff. I, I just found it kind of interesting that he, he rehashed it again, I'm, I'm you know, because I, I, can't, I couldn't imagine Iron Maiden doing that. But it's just uh, weird. I was just wondering if you actually caught that at all. I hadn't, but uh, you know what? Iron Maiden has three guitarists, so they, <laughs> they, they certainly don't need to play to any backing traps. However, they do play to tape. And if you think of Book of Souls tour, the intro sections of mm -hmm. stuff is done to Memorex. So obviously there's a difference between that, which are elements that need to be kind of piped in to give the presentation of a song which otherwise could not be performed um, because you lose the context of, let's say, the Book of Souls intro. That mm -hmm. totally makes sense. Or the Number of the Beast. Um, yeah intro so that that's all kind of fine and fair i get while it's going to be something that never goes away because bands are not supposed to be doing auto-tune and memorex and it's offensive to musicians probably like adrian who is a hell of a musician and as are all the guys in that band look at nico look at steve harris himself as a mm -hmm. bass player and his galloping lines Yannick, for whatever, I kind of laugh at him as the happy dancer of the band. So mm -hmm. what? He's on, he, you know, he, he's a showman. He's, you know, getting his kicks while playing. And, of course, Dave Murray. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a singer who's fought cancer of the throat, um, who flies planes, who's a nearly Olympic-class fencer. And you can understand why they would be offended. But, you know, do they do they bag on Def Leppard for the amount of vocals and stuff that is likely piped into that set? And again, I have no actual knowledge of anything nefarious going on. I know that when they played in San Francisco and they had a false start, it seemed fake as hell, but it could easily be explained by, you know, some of the MIDI sequences that Rick has to use in order to pull off what he does with one arm that other drummers are able to easily do. So... You know, Eddie is Eddie. Eddie is also offended by how he's been treated. So, no, he's not going to let it go either. Do I listen to him? No, I don't have serious. Uh, I get the same kind of cherry-picked highlights that show up on YouTube that most other people get to go off on rants about because they lack the original context. That So Eddie gets taken way out of context, and you only hear what sounds like the very worst part of what he was saying. When, if you hear the other half hour, you often hear him set up where he gets to that point, but he's made a really good argument and fully developed it and debated it. But that one little soundbite that you just take um, makes Eddie sound irrational. Um, but Eddie's also a passionate rock and roll fan. So mm -hmm. I, I, got yeah. a, I got a great deal of respect for Eddie Trunk because, again, he's holding that banner of rock high at a time when it needs to be held the highest. So Yeah, I, I agree because... Um, it, it, it's not a big, uh, you know, hiding point that his his feelings towards Kiss and how he's being treated by them, but uh, he's he makes no bones about it. Like just I just listened to that interview today with Steve Harris, and before he went to the whole interview, he was talking about how it, that there's a a small group of people that are starting to rally, and it's like a they're starting this rallying cry to have bands stop doing this that it's if that he, not only does he find it offensive to musicians he thinks but it's becoming offensive to audiences now 
and he thinks that for the amount of money that people have to throw down for concerts, the last thing they want is to listen to pre-recorded stuff that they actually want to pay to hear the musicians play this stuff and show their skill at, at doing it. And I kind of understand that, but I mean, I think a lot of this stuff comes from how he feels about Kiss in general, because, you know, he's I've never heard him start a topic about this without involving Kiss, you know what I mean? So he's obviously still very... Uh, bitter about what happened but uh you know let's move on to something else we don't want to talk about eddie trunk all day well yeah but the, the rallying cry again sebastian Bach. i mean he kind of lobbed one out there as well of mm. you know the, the album's going to be performed live <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly what he said but it was basically a torpedo against that sort of thing so again it's like your food you want to know what every ingredient is in the package of f- uh, food that you're buying you want to know if something's genetically modified? A lot of people do. A lot of consumers want to know exactly what the ingredients are in order for them to judge the quality of what they're paying their hard, hard-earned dollar for. And that certainly applies to music. When a lot of these bands and acts, and it's uh, often been those uh, who've been caught out, have been kind of more of the pop acts, you know, have been busted for doing it. But you could be pretty sure that once anyone has the technology or the uh, audacity to do so, then it, it will be done by others. But yeah, you want to know that your your chicken tenders are 100% real chicken, not mm. reprocessed, uh, mm. fake chicken <laughs> stuck together with meat glue, then, you know, that's how you want your rock and roll as well. You know, no, yeah. MS, no MSG, unless you're at the Madison Square Garden. So, <laughs> all right, let's move on. All right, going back to the board here. Uh, I'm talking about that anti-scalping technology. I mean, what did you think of uh, Metallica and that kind of news that came out about them selling their own resale tickets and whatnot? And especially when you think about how much Kisses tickets have been costing. Uh, well, I mean, nobody likes you know being at the mercy of scalpers, but I mean, uh, I'm I've honestly a little bit unsure of the whole thing of the argument is is he arguing the fact that uh about the scalpers and they took it under the, the control to take the scalpers out of the picture is that's what is that what's going on in this situation yeah i think i think so you know yeah, well, basically scalping their own tickets yeah well you know let's put it this way i kind of look at it like this would, would a fan rather buy a scalp ticket from some schmo that they don't know on the street corner or would they rather you know get it from the actual band itself i mean sure maybe that doesn't make it right either but i think on in some levels you know maybe they maybe there's a sense of security in it because a lot of the times i've heard stories about people buying tickets from scalpers they go to the you know the gate and they get it scanned and the, the guy looks at him and says this is a fake ticket you can't come in you know what i mean and there you just dropped $100 and it's down the toilet. I can't see that happening if a band like Metallica is, you know, taking over their own ticket sales. I, I can be reassured at least to know that if I was to buy a ticket from them in that kind of scalped capacity, that at least it would be a legit ticket. I think that would be the last thing that the, a band like that would want to do to themselves, you know? Yeah, I think all in all, uh, the market, is coming to a massive realignment. Um, 
the music industry itself, just as it killed itself with recorded music. I think they've gone down a dark path when it comes to live music with all the fees, Ticketmaster, the scams, the class action lawsuits. I think there are a lot of, you know, I'm going to mix my metaphors horribly here. There's a lot of chickens to come home to roost yet. And I think people are going to get fed up with, like people on this latest Kiss tour and the, the dynamic pricing are going to get really fed up, especially people like us as fans who get these pre-sale codes. And when you're able to use them, you get a ticket. And then later on, closer towards the date, all of a sudden, all those seats that have been held back and didn't sell are opened up. And you're now seeing $250 front row seats. Um, you know, the fans get angry and the fans vote with their wallets. But also the price of attending a concert has gone up so much that in many cases, it no longer feels that there's any value in doing so, especially when you're able to hop on YouTube and watch that same show for free, often filmed from very up close. Um, no wonder they hate cell phones and they'd love to get rid of them. But, you know, the concert experience is not fun. And for me, that involves driving. It involves mm -hmm. parking and even public transport. I have done Bart to the Oakland Coliseum, and I'll be doing that again in September for both Kiss and Iron Maiden. Um, it's hell. It's really unpleasant. And then you get there, and you're gouged on everything. And now, you obviously do have choice whether or not to buy a concert T-shirt or a you know, poster or whatever, you know, or food, yeah. you know, and, or drink. You know, so you do have a choice, yes, but it is all such a gouge now that you just come out of there feeling you've been shaken down three violated vi violated absolutely you know and then the show may not have been live <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i totally understand because for me it's the same thing i mean when that yes royal affair uh tour came i mean that, that was at the budweiser theater which is you know, for me, I live in Brampton, and this is on the outskirts of Toronto. So for me, I'm looking at maybe a 35-minute, 40-minute drive to get there. And that's pending that I leave a bit earlier to avoid traffic, because Toronto traffic and, you know, suffer time is brutal, okay? <clears throat> Anybody around here will tell you the same thing. And, uh, you know, I, it was also a situation where I was supposed to, you know, meet up with a few people there. So I, I wanted to definitely go and check it out. But again, like you said, parking, $20, flat fee, you know, food. I went there and, you know, when, when uh, you know, you, you leave the house early and you're going to spend the next four or five hours at a, at a venue, especially when it's outside, you know, you need to have water and you need to have some sort of sustenance. And, you know, for me, I try to keep it easy and simple. I don't like getting burgers and stuff like that. Where you can get, you know, ketchup and crap spilling all over you. So what I like to do is just go and get a pizza slice. But a pizza slice there, it's like eight bucks. It's insane how much they gouge you for stuff like that. A bottle of water, four dollars. It's like I'm almost giving a twenty dollar bill for a pizza slice and a water. And then I pay twenty dollars for parking as well. And, you know, my the ticket alone also was pretty expensive but i didn't mind it this time because there were four bands that i actually didn't mind you know that, that i was going to see there were bands i actually wanted to see and this is one of the things that i liked about that they did with this you know so they had EL, the elp thing they had the moody blues thing they had asia and they had yes yeah, so they were all bands that all made sense with one another it wasn't a situation like when uh when kiss came through on the reunion tour in 97 through toronto 
they they played with Degeneration, a band I never even heard of. You know, it's like I'd rather pay big money to see bands that I actually know. You know, along with them. So, uh, again, I understand what you mean with the concert experience not being something that you enjoy and look forward to. But one thing that I have discovered, and I'm hoping that this kind of continues, is a lot of the bands that I like um, have decided to start playing in more kind of medium to smaller halls, like like the Queen Elizabeth Theater, which is like actually made for music. They're nice plush seating and stuff like that. So I saw King Crimson there, fantastic show, you know. And then now I hear that there's a we have a theater here in Brampton in my town called the Rose Theater, fantastic beautiful everything's comfortable you know sound system is amazing and now some of the artists that i actually grew up with are starting to go there and play kim mitchell is going to be there you know and he plays max webster stuff and stuff like that and for me that's like a five minute drive literally from my house to that theater and they have underground parking and it's cheap it's like ten dollars for the night you know and you have an elevator right from there right up to the place you know what i mean it's how much more simpler can it be than that sure the food maybe still be a little bit on the pricier side but i'm hoping that at least in my area the band start playing in a place closer to me you know i have the advantage now that brampton is becoming a city that's growing in size so bands are not overlooking brampton anymore before it used to be just to go to toronto and montreal and now bands are starting to go "Eh, well you know you have more than half a million people now in brampton so it might be worth going to go check it out you know what i mean so that's making the experience a bit better for me. Yeah, you know, one one can have hope, but I think I'm also just getting old. And after you've worked a full day and go to a show, you end up sounding like Rush's working man going on in your head there, you know. And you know, you got to be up at four the next day, and so many of them are during the week or you know running around to soccer. But there you go. All right, let's get off this live concert stuff because we're supposed to be happy about live concerts. And I I guess I I should be happy that, you know, Iron Maiden obviously is on tour and you know you're going to get a video out of the Legacy of the Beast tour, which, you know, you got to love those guys. They absolutely know how to bang out a studio album, you know, every five years. And in between, you get a Legacy tour, you know, that Mm -hmm. focuses in on some era. I mean, why can't that other band we actually like do that? Ah, forget it. Uh, it's been talked to death. But let's go back in time here. Obviously, I did a lipstick panel episode with them recently. Um, Gene Simmons' 2004 solo album. Was it 2003? Yeah, 2004 solo album, Asshole. Mm. And the, the part one of that episode has been up. And someone asked the question. You know, it made them think um, that both Gene's solo album and Paul's Live to Win weren't considered strong albums by the fan base um which one do you prefer so th- this is putting gene against paul and i think that's an easy one for me as well as much as i bagged no pun intended on a lot of the material on gene's album it was at least eclectic quirky very gene in many ways um very honest uh, again he bought stuff he you know, solicited for, you know, a record label and then bought the best material off people. But he also bought some good material like the Shirley Temple song. And he recycled some of his old Kiss stuff in the forms of Sweet and Dirty Love and Weapons Mm -hmm. of Mass Destruction. Um, And he had an interesting guest cast. So as much as I would call it an abomination, it's much better to be an abomination than be contrived. 
Um, and that's what Paul's album was. It was trying to be, it was like Def Leppard's X, that it was trying to be modern and quirky and all sorts of um, pop. It completely missed what he had done on the, his 1978 solo album. And I think with a lot of fellow fans who I talk with, yeah, there's a few songs that I love to this day. Um, you know, Where Eagles Dare is a great song. Live to Win is a, a great anthem. But there's a lot of really bad stuff on that album that I never want to hear again. Um, and it's much less authentic than Gene's, as bad as Gene's is. So which one would you pick? Well, b- believe it or not, um, and I thought about this too because I actually saw this thread uh, before when people are talking about it on the board. Um, on first, like my first gut instinct would be go- to immediately go to Paul and say, yeah, I think I like his better. But you know what? After re-listening to both of them like very quickly and having memories come back to me about it, I have to agree with you. I think I like Gene's better. Um, mainly because I remember when I first got Live to Win on CD, uh, I think it was my, my ex-girlfriend's sister got it for me for my birthday. And I put it in the car and I just couldn't believe how weak it was. You know, I mean, when, when the, what, for me, I had this vision in my head, you know, because when I heard, you know, when we all heard Paul Stanley's 78 solo record, you know, that, that's like a masterpiece. So you're thinking, okay, Paul has, you know, it does not coddle to anybody else's, you know, needs and this and that. He's on his own. He can write his own stuff. We're going to get part two of this record. No, we didn't get anything like that. It was like basically getting like, you know, a, a totally made up band that you see like on those, one of those television shows, you know, like those variety kind of television shows where you have singers come on and they have a backing band. It's almost like he hired a backing band like that to play with him. And the, the songs just, I don't know. It just, they just don't seem authentic. Is that the word I'm looking for? I mean, they just seem to be like, he was just trying to coddle to like mainstream radio or something at that time. And it just, ugh, I just didn't like everything about that stuff. Just didn't do it for me. I, I couldn't tell you the title of a song off that record at all, you know, because I mean, I've listened to it maybe three times in my life. And I think the third time was like, you know, earlier today. So, uh, but you know, at least jeans, one of the things that I like about jeans uh, record and it's funny because what I like about it now was one of the things I didn't like about his 78 solo record back then was he had so many guests on his, you know, his early one. But on this one, you know, he has people that I actually like, like, you know, he has like Richie Kotzen on guitar. He has Bruce Kulick on guitar. You know, he even has Eric Singer on drums for tracks one and three, it says. Right. So, I mean, he has people on there that. Uh, I know Dave Navarro as well, right? So yeah, Dave, and you know the songs I think are are stronger in my opinion, or at least they're they're stronger in the in the way that I enjoy these types of songs better. Like I agree, "Sweet and Dirty Love" is a good song. "Weapons of Mass Destruction" is cool. But the, of course, the whole fire starter thing takes a little, you know, getting used to. Uh, but I, I think overall, I think Jeans to me, just sounds more believable. Let me just put it that way. I think that's the main thing I was looking for. Gene's record, when I hear it, I believe it's Gene Simmons, whereas Paul Stanley's, it almost seems like he seemed forced to make a kind of record that he didn't want to make almost. 
Gene's crap is more authentic. <laughs> you know, and, and again, there's nothing against the musicianship or the players on Paul's album, you know, because there are a ton of very high caliber people who are well known in the session world, in the modern session world. Yeah. So it's not a dig at them. They're performing to the sort of thing that Paul wants or doing performances that Paul says are keepers. Um, so it's absolutely nothing against them. Um, it, it, it's the production's bad as well. That's the problem that that really does bother me. When we can criticize Crazy Nights and say, oh, imagine if, you know, it wasn't so thin, you know, if it was remixed and, you know, given some more guts and, you know, a little bit more barbed wire and attitude. Well, the mm-hmm. same goes for some of the better songs on Live to Win because there's nothing that's going to save some of the syrupy ballad stuff that he <laughs> felt he had to inflict on us. And I don't, again, it's, I don't know who he was really aiming this at. And I think ultimately he was aiming it at himself and, you know, wanted to look in the mirror and say, look at my album. It's absolutely fabulous. I've got the ballad. I've got the up-tempo, slightly time-changey song. Oh, I've got something that's like, uh, what's that band? Evanescence or something, whatever. I don't know. Um, no idea, you know, but the modern music bands and all that. So he, it was like he was going, he had a little check mark of, I got to have this. Like a music chart has your bass, your drums, your guitars, yeah. you that for each style or each genre that he yeah. wanted to record. Like it was going to be his mixtape for everyone to say, oh, Paul Stanley, he's a great at writing this sort of, you know. So it seemed to be that rather than uh, a real artistic project. So, you know, yeah. that's where he, where he kinds of, make, you know, fails. You know, Gene Simmons is the blender. We'll throw it all in. Oh, I need, here, have, here's some money. We better throw that in as well, you know. And one person got it because someone mentioned on one of the uh, the threads of the lipstick episode um, when I said poisoned. Yeah, that's the song I was referring to, Richie Kotzen. And without, you know, talking about the members of that band, it it was one of those things I, I just wanted to, to drop in there. So, you know, Paul, I would love to do another album. I know we're going to be getting Soul Station, but I would like him to do, you know, a real album and mm-hmm. maybe stick to the songwriting and pick the people to sing. And if there are ones that he doesn't feel he can <laughs> give the performance that he wants to, then recruit the right people. And the same thing goes for all the players. Maybe have the Paul Stanley album that's recorded all by other people, but directed by Paul Stanley. You know, and now that we talked about this, something kind of just clicked into my head. Do you think that these two records might be, you know, because I know that they did, of course, make a Kiss record after these came out, right? But I mean, do you think that this sort of uh, differences in style could be reasonings why we don't have more Kiss records. Is it too much butting of heads? Is it too much like Gene wants to go this way, Paul wants thinks that they should go this way, and they can't meet in the middle somewhere and make a Kiss record? Because, I mean, obviously, they, they, they released a Kiss record after Asshole, and I'm pretty sure, if, I'm, if my memory is correct, was there, there was a Kiss record after Live to Win, wasn't there? Yeah, it was uh, the Japanese, uh, Jigoku Retsudan, the, the re-recordings album. Oh, yeah. You know? Because I was just wondering, like, you know, 
is it is it just because of that is it because of a lack of direction that they don't make another kiss record because i mean you know paul stanley now he's making the soul station thing it's probably done already ready to go but it's so it's not that the fact that he can't make a record he can obviously clearly still make music but it's almost like they there's too much of this and they can't decide on what to do because i mean asshole in that kind of stuff that gene writes you know he always writes on the more heavier end of stuff compared to paul obviously so you know is it that i've always i always kind of wondered that is it just now we don't get a kiss record studio kiss record because they they're just too far apart in what they think a kiss record should be i i think it's again like gene has kind of intimated and paul has certainly stated that uh, Paul's not interested in doing it unless he's fully in control. But I think also the gas tank's empty. I think in, in some cases, um, they know that their tools no longer work as well um, in certain areas. So where Paul may be, feel confident in doing kind of the different sort of singing that he's able to do with Soul Station and do that as an album project. I, I To be perfectly honest, when we talk about his vocal decline, maybe he doesn't feel that he can do the material justice singing the sort of music that could be released under the Kiss banner. Maybe mm-hmm. he's uh, afraid to tarnish it, um, especially when uh, there were a lot of talking points with Monster, of, you know, song like uh, Long Way Down. If people said it's a great song. Imagine if, you know, it was recorded with Paul's vocals, you know, five years earlier, 10 yeah. years earlier. So maybe he got tired of hearing those sorts of things, which is unfortunate because, again, he is the artist. And when you always hear about your own death continuously, it must mm-hmm. get very irksome, especially when he still has he still has an artistic desire, obviously. I mean, he wouldn't be doing any of the things that he does if he didn't. So there's still something there. Whether or not it's going to resonate with Kiss fans is a whole different thing. I think he's going to get a certain amount of sales strictly because he's Paul Stanley of Kiss by Kiss fans. But how many of those actually get opened up and played? That's the, the other thing. I don't think he cares. You know, as long as you buy it and you get some numbers with which to justify it. And hopefully it does what it needs to for him. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because um, there was a clip that I saw on uh, YouTube the other day, because I've been watching some of these uh, a legacy on the road stuff from Maiden, and Bruce Dickinson actually mentioned something, and, I, and it's funny because Eddie Trunk mentioned it as well, and it has to do with what we're, what we're talking about, because on stage he's saying he goes he he does a little in between bit where he says you know we're doing a show today of nothing but our classics, no new songs, and then people he heard like some people actually booing like boo, right? And he goes oh he goes that's good to hear actually I'm actually very happy by that. That he's booing because that because he actually thinks you know that people want to hear new music and a lot of Iron Maiden people still want to hear new music from Iron Maiden and I think that's one thing that they have definitely going for them and one thing that I've always loved about Maiden about Steve Harris is that he's very headstrong and adamant that they will always make new music and then go out on tour again. And I think that's fantastic. They're not just going to sit on the, their laurels and just play nothing but, you know, legacy type concerts. They want to make new music. And, you know, sure, you can we can debate all day long of whether Book of Souls is anywhere as good as Peace of Mind. But the bottom line is they're artists, they're musicians. And to be a musician and artist, you have that need to want to create more stuff and they do it. Yeah, rather than being a jukebox and just playing the same things over and over, same set every night. You know, yeah. where it, where is the artistry in doing that? 
um, other than being able to replicate the same thing every night to a high standard and not get so bored out of your mind by playing rock and roll all night as the 17th song of the set uh, for three months straight. You know, I'd be strangling a cat, to be perfectly honest, by that point. But, you know, again, I'm waiting for news to drop that Maiden actually has a new album in the can uh, that's ready to go. And because then, you know, they'll go out on tour and they'll subject you. And, and there's the difference. You know, I, I say I want new stuff from Kiss. I want all these things, you know, some new songs, new tour, new outfits and all that. Iron Maiden comes out and does a set from on the Book of Souls tour. And I've mentioned it before. They do all these new songs and I'm nodding off. I'm like, oh, please let the red and the black come to an end. Can we please have number of the beast in here? You know, because Iron Maiden songs, they're really long sometimes. Uh, but be careful what you wish for, because sometimes it may come true. And they did it on a matter of life and death. I think they yeah. performed the whole damn album. Um, yeah. And then Book of Souls, performing four songs off that is like 942 minutes anyway. So, you know, more power to Maiden. They know how to mix it up, because if you if you go to the new stage show, the new tour with the new album, you you know what to expect. You'll get the hits at the end. Uh, and the rest of the time, you're going to be learning the new album, whether you want to or not. We also know that when they come back in two years' time, they'll be doing a legacy set of whatever album's up for an anniversary that they're in the mood to do. So why don't we leave that there for this week? Because you know yeah. this is the episode that wasn't even going to happen. I'm going to apologize in advance. Your video's been a little bit choppy, and that's probably putting it mildly because I'm running this off my, my uh, cell phone. Um, so uh, ho hopefully the the audio has been pretty decent. So that's more important. And everyone knows what, uh, what both of us look like. So, you know, thanks for hopping on a call at the very last minute, Mark. And, you know, hopefully we can get the whole gang back together in a few weeks. Nashville Rocket Pod comes up next week. So I'm away. If you guys get together and do an episode, I'll process it on Friday from my hotel in Nashville uh, afterwards. You know, mm -hmm. there's going to be a few episodes of the FAQ podcast, which have KISS-related artists from the Nashville Rock and Pod, KISS fans, uh, fellow podcasters who want to talk some KISS, and um, some Electric Ballroom podcasts with some interviews with people um, way outside the realm of KISS, just people who uh, are I'm interested in speaking with and and. I'm going to have the opportunity to speak with uh, the rock and pod again. Great, great opportunity to get out there, talk to some new people, meet some mm -hmm. new people, listen to some new music. And of course the pre-party the night before with a uh, lipstick generation. Mm -hmm. Should be good. And should be definitely rock, very good. The rock and roll residency. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. So that's it for this week. For Mark and myself, thank you for joining us. It's been a pop prairie. Mark, I'll see you soon. Take mm -hmm. care, and we'll see you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.